USAFL Executive Director Doran James joins us to discuss what's next for the season, as well as fantastic stories from his playing days in Australia and Milwaukee. Plus, the AFL stretch drive and Danny Marshall returns to Footscray. That's what's coming up. This is Episode 12 of the Marks and Stripes USAFL Podcast. Good day, everyone. My name is Brian Barish, and we welcome you to another episode of the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast, the official podcast of the United States Australian Football League. As a reminder, as always, this podcast can be heard on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and the Wooshka app, as well as wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Well, it's been a little while since you and I have talked through this particular medium. Uh, life sort of happens, and uh, we took a little bit of a summer vacation, but uh, we're back. And we hope to be pumping out new episodes for your listening enjoyment uh, over the next uh, couple of months. We'll probably do one about every 10 to 14 days, but uh, don't worry. We have there's no loss of uh, people to talk to, of stories that are happening, even considering the changing uh, environment of this uh, 2020 season as we head into next year as well. We have one singular, solitary, awesome guest on the show today. His name is Doran James. And if you have had anything to do with the USAFL over the last 10, 15 years, you'll, you'll know him. Uh, he is the executive director of the league, and he does a lot of work behind the scenes, but he also does a lot of work in front of the scenes as well, uh, organizing tournaments from regionals and nationals. Uh, some of the stuff he does behind the scenes, he'll talk about, and he'll also be talking about what's going to happen not only for the rest of this year, but next year and beyond in the USAFL. We have a lot to get to, however, that we uh, need to catch up on since we talked last and let's go inside 50 and discuss that One of the things we'll be discussing with Doran in our interview coming up is the cancellation of the 2020 USAFL National Championships. The announcement coming on July 15th, as decided by the USAFL board in cooperation with Doran James, the executive director and tournament organizer, as well as the USAFL safety panel. The conditions in the U.S. being way too dangerous and uncertain at this point to safely allow the tournament to go ahead. It's the first time in the 23-year history of the USAFL that the National Championship Carnival will not be held. Now, as we mentioned, we'll be talking with Doran James as far as what the plans are for the rest of this season, as well as going into next year, not only for nationals, but also the regional tournaments, which, if you recall, were canceled back on May 1st. I know everybody has their own opinions about this, but I'm pretty sure the consensus is, goes along with mine is that this is absolutely the right decision, considering the amount of uncertainty of, and, and the way that things are so dynamic and the way that each state has their own rubric in terms of how to handle this crisis. It definitely isn't safe to travel, let alone to gather in large groups. So the hope is to have something... Uh, resembling regional, uh, small regional events next year in co or this year in cooperation with the USAFL return to play f uh, phases. And you can read more about that on our website, usafl.com. And of course, there's also our social media channels, facebook.com slash USAFL and Twitter and Instagram at USAFL1997 for all the latest updates. Now, the past couple of weeks haven't been all bad news bears. 
from the local front found out that Danielle Marshall will be returning to the Western Bulldogs of the AFLW competition in 2021. Marshall, who is the third American national to play in senior-level football in Australia, played in all six of the Western Bulldogs' AFLW games in the truncated 2020 season, kicking three goals in the process. The Doggies won just one of their six games last year, but they are committed to Marshall, who became the first USAFL recruit to play in either AFL or AFLW when she signed last July. Great news for the Arizona Hawks player from Colorado Springs, who was named to the International Cup team last year and hopes to play for the Freedom in 2021. Sticking with news from the USAFL family, we have a way for you to help one of our own. Bobby Sears, who plays for the Houston Lone Stars, formerly of the Golden Gate Ruse and the Chicago Swans, and a former member of the USA Revolution, is recovering from a head injury that he suffered early this week. His wife, Victoria, is reporting that he is in good spirits and that he has begun his rehab stint strongly. But there is friends of his and friends of ours that are looking to help him and his two, his wife and his two daughters, Kendall and Harper. They have started a GoFundMe page, and you can go to GoFundMe.com slash F slash the letter B strong hyphen four hyphen B-R-A-Y. You can check out the link on our website and also on our social media channels. Bobby is a really good guy. He's done a lot for the game of Australian football everywhere he's gone. He's even played in Canada, played for the Toronto Dingoes and the Etobicoke Kangaroos, and he represented us well at the International Cup, especially at the last Cup in 2017. Over $30,000 has been raised as we uh, record this, and we know that the footy community likes to band together. So if you're interested in assisting this great cause, again, go to the link. It's on our website. And also, I just gave it to you again. It's uh, B strong, the letter B, S-T-R-O-N-G dash four dash B-R-A-Y. Finally this week, the AFL season is reaching its climax in earnest. Uh, After this week, there will be six more rounds of football. Now, we are just coming, as you're listening to this, we are just coming to the end of an unprecedented stint of 33 games in 20 days. That is a game every single day for the course of three weeks. Round 13 coming up is the Sir Doug... Nichols Indigenous Round, in which the Indigenous community of Australia, uh, Doug Nichols, who was a player and a politician and a community leader in South Australia, among others uh, in the Indigenous community, have helped build this game in Australia and also around the world. I think of I think of Mark Motlop with the Darwin Buffaloes who came to Portland a couple of years ago and is uh, responsible for recruiting uh, players such as Jess Blecker to come over uh, and help build the American presence over in Australia in the playing ranks. Uh, the That round will be a normal round going through the weekend. However, starting on August 27th and going all the way through September 14th, we'll be back with another blitz of games going every day. Uh, Who is playing and where? Well, we will be posting the schedule each week ahead of each round on, again, our website and all of our social medias, uh, especially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, And it'll tell you where you can watch the games. Now, you can get a watch, afl.com.au, 
uh, a subscription, and part of the proceeds will help the USAFL. Uh, but also, a lot of the games are on television, and that's been uh, really, when we talked to you last back uh, when round two was about to start, we weren't sure of uh, what the schedule was going to look like. But uh, just about every week, uh, anywhere from three to five Games have been on Fox Sports 1 uh, and Fox Sports 2. In addition, ESPN 2 has been putting on one game a weekend. ESPN 3 has done the same as well. So this is great news. And the best part is uh, we are continuing to see more fans in the U.S., more brand new fans, people who are just flipping through the channels in the middle of the night and wondering, what the heck is this? Now, we're going to pay tribute to some of them in a few weeks. We're actually going to try and get a couple of these new fans uh, on to talk to us to tell us what they love about the game and uh, how they're going to get involved uh, once things calm down and once we get back to uh, normalcy and uh, as we hopefully have a season uh, in 2021. So uh, that's great news. And hey, if you're listening to us for the first time or if you're a new fan, welcome to the greatest game in the world. We're glad that you're a part of the USAFL family. That's going to conclude all of the happenings inside 50 this week. We're going to step aside and take a quick break and just kind of calm down and compose ourselves. And when we come back, I'm going to be talking to the man who, well, he is uh, the engine that makes the league go. He's USAFL Executive Director Doran James. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Marks and Stripes USAFL Podcast. Australian rules football in the U.S.? That's right. The United States Australian Football League is in a city near you. Go to USAFL.com, find your team, check them out. We're a group full of men and women just like you. Join us for the fun athletic competition. Stay for the camaraderie. We want the champion! Log on and sign up to join your team at USAFL.com. A normal USAFL season takes a lot of time, dedication, and effort to put together. From organizing regionals and nationals, to liaising with the AFL, to ferreting out sponsorship opportunities, and working with broadcast partners and shareholders, and this only just scratches the surface, there is much to be done to ensure that Aussie rules continues to thrive here in the USA. Even in an abnormal year like 2020 has shown to be, there is still much work to be done to make sure that the wheels are still turning. Many people across the country put in the hard yards to ensure this, but there's one man who has been most involved in all of these vital functions over the last decade. His name is Doran James. He's the executive director of the USAFL, and he joins us here on the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast. Doran, thanks for coming on board with us today. How's it going? Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, so uh, it's day by day, you know, one day at a time. Just uh, wake up in the morning and, and ask myself, you know, what um, what's going to change today, but uh, also try to find a positive in each day. So, um, you know, today's positive, I guess, is good to catch up with you, mate. Always, and it's always great to talk to you. You are you are essentially my USAFL sibling, considering uh, how many tournaments we've gone through and how many of these calls we've done. So uh, it's always great to talk to you, especially in these uncertain times. Before we talk about your uh, involvement in, in the USAFL and how you got involved in footy, 
obviously we covered at the at the top of the show uh, about the cancellation of the U.S. AFL Nationals and and kind of where we go from here. And you were obviously pretty involved with the decision, considering the fact that you help organize the tournament as you do with the regionals and whatnot. So um, before we get into that, I just kind of want to get your view as to what's transpired in the lead up to that and uh, where we where we go from there in terms of nationals for for next year and and the season for this year. Sure, Brian. Uh, certainly, it's uh, you know, been a great disappointment uh, for, for everybody. You know, for myself, I uh, was looking forward to uh, leading and directing our, you know, my eighth nationals in a row. Um, last year was such a fantastic one. was just really looking forward to how we could grow this year. We had, uh, had a lot of great things lined up, um, but just unfortunately wasn't meant to be. And it's definitely the hardest decision and situation that I've been involved in in my 10 years with the league. Uh, but ultimately, it really is the, the right decision. Um, so while our members are, are disappointed, um, everyone's been very understanding given the circumstances. And so the, the process was a, a pretty comprehensive one that we went through. Um, it, it entailed feedback from our clubs and players. And of course, the the recommendations from our, our safety task force. And you know, I can't say enough about the job that our uh, safety task force did, which was led by Rich Mann and, and Scott Morris, uh, VP of the uh, Eastern Eastern Region. They did an outstanding job and and um, put together a team that was compromised of medical and health professionals, you know, right from across the country and across the USAFL. So they really had a huge task before them. And, and given how fluid the situation has been, you know, we just did not see a way that we could effectively mitigate those risks for our members and their families. So, you know, we made that decision. And, you know, since that decision, it's probably only been reinforced as we continue to see that, you know, more and more college football conferences with, you know, far greater resources than, than us, they've had to postpone or can, cancel their seasons. So, you know, we do have to now pivot. Um, while it's disappointing, we won't be able to gather for our favorite event of the year. Uh, all is not lost. Uh, we are planning to hold a virtual nationals event. So this is um, planning planned for the weekend that nationals was scheduled for October 10th to the 11th. And we are planning some fun and unique ways that our clubs can still compete against each other. So several of the competitions that we're, we're looking at would, would include fitness contests, uh, some skills competitions and some running and agility tests. And then we're going to also be looking for some fun and creative ideas from our, our clubs and members. So we hope they're going to help us out with any ideas they may have. And we plan to you know, make more information available and, and announce the, the, the events and prizes in the coming weeks. That sounds really exciting. And I know that Obviously, it was a very difficult decision, but I, but as you said, it's absolutely the right one, and uh, I'm looking forward to, even though we can't get together in person, uh, to to what that virtual nationals is going to look like. So uh, again, October 10th and 11th, and we'll give you more information uh, a little bit later on in terms of uh, how to get in touch and and send those ideas. And uh, before we move on, I I know that there's a lot of members that are. Uh, probably thinking this, but there's been some questions about where Nationals is going to be next year in terms of regionals. And I imagine that that process has already begun. I know that that's a year plus long process. I imagine that's already began or, uh, or in the planning stages at least. Yeah, Brian, that, that, you know, that's exactly right. 
Um, it does take about a, a year to plan each of our uh, regionals and nationals. And so for 2021, we're optimistic that we're going to be able to just really effectively postpone this year's events, um, regionals and nationals, and hold, the, hold them in the same locations that we had planned this year uh, in, in 2021. So that's um, our first option that we're looking at and we're talking to all of our partners and the cities and, and CDBs and sports commissions. And um, we're really waiting for them to come back to us um, as they're still trying to navigate through this year and um, look towards next year. And so once they are able to confirm those venue dates and availability, um, we'll look to lock those in. However, if um, they're not able to um, give us the dates that we need for, for next year, um, I've begun that process sort of of plan B where we're looking at alternative venues and locations across the country. And so actually just last week started this uh, virtual conference. Um, typically it's a in-person conference that's held every year and it's for all the sports commissions and CDBs across the country. And it's one that I, I attend and primarily the goal is to find us uh, uh, venues, cities that would be suitable for nationals and regionals. And so, um, Given the circumstances this year, we've had to switch that conference to online. So I've been holding meetings with um, cities all across the country um, the last two weeks, and that's going to continue for um, another week and a half here. So um, through these meetings, hoping to find um, some other possibilities for us for next year um, and beyond, and um, we'll just uh, you know, continue to monitor the situation with um, you know this year's venues and hopefully we'll be able to get the um, announcement out as to where we're going next year um, by either, you know, end of this year or early uh, next year. And we're all excited to see what happens for next year. And, and uh, so we know you'll keep us in, in tune and, and we'll let everybody else know when we know. L let's move on to uh, you and how you got involved uh, with the USAFL. As you mentioned, you've been involved and we mentioned you've been involved now for 10 years. Uh, how did you get how did you find out about Aussie rules football in the first place? Well, so my this is a great question, Brian. I, I love this question. And it's one I love to ask people all the time. Um, I just love to hear people's footy origin stories, as I call it. Um, and my story really began back in 2001 when I was a university student and I was studying abroad at Southern Cross University in New South Wales. So one of my roommates, he was from, from Melbourne and, and just a massive demon supporter. And he kept telling me about footy and, and I didn't know what he was talking about. And, and so he invited me down to footy training at the beginning of the semester. And you know, for me, it was you know, love at first sight. I grew up playing high-level competitive soccer. I was captain of my high school football team and wrestling teams and played rugby in college. So for me to find a sport that combined the skills, fitness, and contact of, of all those sports was, was really incredible. And of course, I was hooked straight away. Uh, so little did I know at that time that I'd be sitting here 20 years later helping to grow the game in the U.S. Um, but that still remains one of my biggest motivations today for why I love my job. Uh, it's really, for me, it's about helping Americans discover this amazing sport. And when I returned to Milwaukee after my semester of playing footy, you know, I had no idea the USAFL or Milwaukee Bombers even existed. And, um, you know, I just thought it was an awesome sport that I discovered in Australia and I would not play it again, you know, unless I returned to Australia. So um, I went on the next couple of years and I finished up my degree in Milwaukee and shortly after I joined the Peace Corps. So Peace Corps is a two-year service commitment 
and I returned from the Peace Corps in 2006. So that's when I started looking up local rugby clubs, and it's when I stumbled upon the Milwaukee Bombers. That equated to roughly a a five-year gap between when I discovered the sport and began playing to actually playing in the U.S. So, you know, for me, had I known the USAFL, the Milwaukee Bombers, and the Revolution were opportunities for me, I would have left it the chance to, to be a part of that first International Cup in 2002. You know, it still really kills me to this day that I was not able to to have a go at that. Um, but um, that's just how it happened. And, and, and again, it's really um, part of what still drives me in my role. You know, I don't want others to miss out on, on their opportunities to be a part of this community and, and to play this you know, amazing sport that, um, yeah, I've, I've um, been fortunate enough to, to be a part of uh, over the last 20 years. Yeah, you and I have very much the same in that. And we love when other people get involved and, and are able to share their talents. And, and listen, it may have been a couple of years late, but at least you're here and you've been able to give it, uh, you know, 10 years in your role and be involved with us for, for 15 years. Um, you mentioned the Milwaukee Bombers, of course, the club founded by the USAFL founder, uh, Paul Plugger O'Keefe and and the the Bombers have been uh, it, it's been rough the last couple of years I know that they've been um, working with the Wisconsin Wombats up in uh, Madison Wisconsin but talk about the Bombers and, and your playing days uh, some of your favorite memories from from playing uh, you're you're known as more of on the admin side now but uh, you're a pretty handy footballer as it was yeah, so, I mean, lots of great memories uh, playing with the Bombers. I joined the club when they were uh, sort of at the you know tail end of their dynasty run, if you will. Um, they were, you know, a real powerhouse in the USAFL in, in the early 2000s. And so um, when I came to the club, they still um, were a pretty, you know, formidable force in the in the USAFL. My first, first year, I remember that um, – they were concerned about that be the first year they weren't going to make it into division one and nationals. So up until that point, you know, had a lot of success and, you know, we were on the cusp of division one, division two that year. So we did end up in, in division two playing my first nationals, um, in Louisville, um, which was a, you know, fantastic experience. And of course I was hooked, you know, from, from then on. Um, but, uh, yeah, just a great club, some, some really good people I enjoyed. Uh, playing with and and enjoyed off the field and and um, we had uh, three three guys from Melbourne that came to the club in 2008 um, played with us that season and we had a, a great season won a lot of footy footy games and um, really enjoyed playing with those guys so when they returned home in 2009 they invited me over to play with them in, in their club in Melbourne so I jumped at the opportunity and um had that chance to to really go live in melbourne play footy at a high level and be immersed with the afl and the culture uh, of the fans so i I was just so excited to be there the home of of the sport and just learn and absorb as much as i could about all the history and of course learn as much as i could about becoming a better player and we had a, you know, a great season. We actually went on to win the uh, grand final that year. So it was a fantastic year to, to be a part of, of that club. Um, but one of my all-time favorite mem- memories as a player um, actually involves playing in my first Anzac Day match in 2009. So we played with um, our club at Vic Park, which is a famous uh, VFL stadium. Mm-hmm. And 
that day, I ended up winning the uh, best on ground. And immediately following the match, I hopped on the train down to the MCG for the big Anzac Day clash between Essendon and Collingwood. So, you know, it, it couldn't have been a, a better back and forth contest or a more exciting finish. You know, Essendon, they trailed with less than a minute to go and it started raining. And then suddenly with about 30 seconds left, you know, David Zaharakis crumbs one, crumbs the footy in front of the 50 meter arc and, you know, split second before he's tackled, he manages to get the boot to the ball and, and slot the game winner. So, you know, MCG just erupted. I was wearing my Milwaukee Bombers shirt and there were hugs and high fives all around. And so it was a really brilliant and you know, amazing experience um, to and way to experience Anzac Day for the first time. I was going to say four words from that game and they were Zaha Rockus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think you hit the nail right on the head and there's, there's probably a lot of people listening who are relatively new to the league and new to the sport. Um, and if you ever got the opportunity, once things calm down and, and we're able to travel over there, there's nothing like it. Uh, the club community and, and also the fan community over there, they love their football over there and there's nothing like it uh, in and around the city of Melbourne, having gone over for the international cup myself three years ago. Now, you, you'd spent all of this time as, as a player with the Bombers and uh, getting the chance to go over there, and then you moved into this role uh, that you have now. How did you get involved with it, and, and what exactly do you do? <laughs> sure. Uh, so for me and my role, it really began that same season in 2009 while I was playing footy in Melbourne. Um, I got a job at the AFL in game development. And they also see international development. So I was really fortunate to be able to work across, you know, really the whole spectrum of game development. I worked with the coaching department, the umpire development programs, the Auskick program, multicultural program, uh, AFL talent and academy programs. And, you know, that just allowed me to, to really see and, and do it all. And, and most importantly, gain an understanding of the AFL's goals for international development and, and really in particular the USAFL. So upon my return to the U.S., uh, the USAFL actually created the position of operations manager. So the timing was really perfect. And I began working for the USAFL in, in August 2010. And the role has really you know, constantly evolved over the past decade. Um, and I'm, I'm currently the executive director of the USAFL. Um, but you know, the, the short answer to what I do is that I work with the executive board to really preserve and protect what we've all worked so hard to build over the past 20 years while also working to grow the game. So in a nutshell, that's you know, really what I do. Um, you know, there's, of course, the more mundane side of the role that entails it, you know, daily administration of the league, maintaining our insurance, uh, applying for grants and funding, uh, following and adhering to nonprofit requirements, liaising with the AFL on our key projects, and to ensure we meet their requirements as an international affiliate, uh, managing our budget, uh, making recommendations on key strategic initiatives to the board, uh, managing that the site selection and RFP process for regionals and nationals that I touched on earlier, uh, securing sponsorships, annual reports, uh, assisting with the administration of the league management system, uh, monitoring and dealing with player and club registration, um, all that fun stuff um, that goes into the admin of the league. Um, and then there's the more exciting part of the role, which, you know, entails our regionals and, and nationals. Um, and, you know, it's a ton of preparation for those events, but they are great fun uh, once we start those events, um, as you well know, Brian. Hmm. So, you know, for me, I always really look forward to that first ball up, ball up of each tournament, um, just because um, 
things kind of tend to run themselves once we get the tournaments going. But the preparation and you know is all the hard yards before that. One thing you also were involved in organizing, and and, and unfortunately, uh, it's not happening now. And the hope is, uh, and I know Mason Cox has spoken out about this. Hopefully, it will return. Is the USA Combine uh, that had happened in Los Angeles? And I mentioned Mason, and that's how he was discovered. Of course, uh, players like Eric Wallace and Jason Holmes as well have come up through that and given the opportunity to to possibly play at a high level in Australia. Uh, talk about some of the stories of that, because I imagine uh, all these young athletes discovering the sport that they didn't know existed until they got a call about it. Uh, talk about that a little bit, if you could. Yeah, so it was very exciting, and it was a great privilege to be a part of uh, really planning and, and running those first uh, AFL combines. Um, doing the first one was, um, you know, just, just so much fun to see these guys show up for the first time and not know what they were getting themselves into. <laughs> and, um, they were, you know, all pretty skeptical coming in. Um, but then when, you know, we started to actually show them the game and the opportunity that you know was pre- presented to them, you know, just to see them get really excited about this and, and, it never failed from year year to year just to see the camaraderie that, that came together with these guys. Cause they weren't, I mean, they knew each other from college basketball. Most of them were college basketball players. So they, they knew each other or they knew of each other a little bit, um, you know, and, and maybe competed against each other at some stage, but they um, never had any ill will toward each other you know, at these combines. They always, you know, by day two, you know, we're laughing, joking around, having a good time and supporting and encouraging one another. Cause you know, we all just wanted, um, you know, something good to happen from this. And, and I can remember, you know, as we were planning, you know, the very first one, the, the conversation was around, you know, the goal of seeing an American run around and dominate on the MCG one day. And so, you know, less than five years later, that actually became a reality with Mason Cox. And it, you know, was just, just incredible <clears throat> to see his performance and and just the reality of, of this vision that we had, you know, when we started to see it come to fruition. And so um, when Mason came into the combine, um, you know, he stood out immediately. All the clubs were, were um, very much interested and wanted to sort of uh, isolate him and get them, you know, off the side and really speak to him and, and uh, give, give him, you know, their best pitch. Um, so it was, you know, from the moment that he, you know, walked in the room, it was very competitive. Um, it was very obvious that, you know, all the clubs, you know, had their, their interests and sights set on him. Um, and then we fast forward a couple of years later, um, to the 2016 combine. And it just happened to coincide with the same day that Mason was making his debut on Anzac day. And so, uh, I just got done addressing the group. On the first night, we had welcome in, and we're getting <clears throat> settled in, going over the itinerary for the week, and then um, it was time to, to put on the, the game. And here these guys were sitting in their chairs, and you know, we told them about Mason. They got to see him, and you know, lo and behold, he, he goes and kicks a goal two minutes into the game. So, just you know, that was you know kind of a surreal moment as well, just to, to sit there and see you know the reaction for these guys, and you know, be able to point to that and say, Hey, Mason was sitting in your chair right here, you know, two years ago 
And, you know, this is, this is possible. This is real. And so just, you know, to, to see their reaction, you know, was just a, um, incredible moment as well. And, and I imagine for you personally, it was, it was kind of full circle because there you were sitting at the MCG watching the Anzac Day game just a few years before, and now you were watching it, watching an American play and, and really set the game alight with that first goal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Anzac Day, you know, has a special meaning for me as well. You know, um, definitely a lot of, a lot of great memories, uh, from footy are, are tied to Anzac Day for me. Now, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I, I just want to kind of come back to it just because uh, you, you mentioned about putting together nationals and regionals. And I know there's a lot of feedback from the clubs and I know there's a lot of feedback from the players as well and, and spectators. But uh, putting together nationals and regionals or basically any event, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes behind the scenes. I know that as a player, a lot of players, a lot of coaches, the fans, they show up, they see the games, uh, you know, they they experience what the area, whatever the host city is, what they have to offer, um, and, and, and that's it. But I don't think a lot of people realize what goes on behind the scenes to get that tournament, get those events uh, going. Touch on that a little bit of if, if you could. Sure, Brian. Um, yeah, there's so much that, that uh, does go on behind the scenes. Um, yeah, and it all starts with, with um, finding venues. You know, our biggest challenge and my biggest challenge is – finding a suitable venue uh you know here we are we're trying to fit ovals into square shaped fields so it's it's a uh, not easy and um it's a, it's a challenge just to you know find venues where we can fit you know two or three ovals for regionals let alone you know a venue that can fit five ovals for nationals they're just you know not that many out there um that exist in the u.s so um that's that's the first challenge you know i've searched high and low uh crisscross the country over 10 years to, to find venues for us. And, you know, thankfully there are new venues that are being built and a lot of um, organizations and cities that you know, have reached out and, and sought feedback from us just on what would make a suitable venue, what our needs are. So um, that's encouraging to, to see. And there are new venues that are coming online every year. So that's uh, something else that um, is a good, great benefit from these, um, conferences that I attend is to learn about the, the new venues that are um, either launching in the current year or, or coming down the pipeline. Um, so when we do find a venue, you know, our goal is really to, to move our regionals, you know, to cities throughout each region. And, but again, not every city has a suitable venue. So in an ideal world, we would be able to hold regional in every city that we have a club, right. And be able to move that throughout the region so that, uh, you as a club wouldn't have to necessarily fly every year. There would be years where you could drive and, and alternate between driving and flying and um, hotels and everything. So that would be an ideal situation. Unfortunately, it just you know, isn't how things are. Um, there just aren't fields in every city that will work for, for tournaments. Um, but when we do find the venues, um, you know, a lot of the behind the scene work that you're talking about is, um, we actually have to build the field. So for, you know, for me, it usually takes me about a day to a day and a half to set up for a regional and three days to really set up for national. So as you kind of alluded to and touched on, I don't think most people realize when they show up to a tournament, the amount of planning and, and preparation and sweat that have really gone into staging those events, just kind of show up and um, you know, have a kick and enjoy it and then um, go home. 
but there's there's so much work that goes behind the scenes, both uh, on the field as well as planning the schedules and and seating and everything you know off the field. Um, so it's really a balancing act to, to try and avoid clashes for clubs that have both men's and women's teams competing in a tournament and, and allowing sufficient rest time for teams between matches and particularly for, with regionals where teams play three matches in a single day. Um, as you know, Brian, very well, it's hard to find enough commentators uh, throughout the day. <laughs> cameramen. Uh, it's a tough ask, um, but, you know, somehow we, we, we do manage to get it done. And, you know, I do do want to recognize um, our volunteers. We have a wonderful group of four volunteers and dedicated board members that are critical to all this and, and our success. And uh, so um, without them, you know, it wouldn't be possible. But um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of things that I think, you know, people that are brand new um, to the sport may not realize, you know, what goes into um, these different events. And I can attest to uh, the, the, the building of the fields because I know on a couple of occasions I've, I've assisted in that. In fact, I remember uh, a couple of years ago when regionals was here in Philadelphia, I rocked up to help you and uh, you were <laughs> just standing in this field, uh, drawing circles and, 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 you know, putting a field together all by yourself. And uh, it, it, it's a lot of hard work. And I, I, you're right. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And hopefully uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you appreciate uh, all, all the, all the elbow grease that goes into uh, putting that weekend and all the weekends and events that we have together. Let's talk about the league itself. Uh, and you've been involved, as you mentioned, since 2006 and uh you know i've been around the league a long time too and the league has changed a, a lot and, I, and i'm interested to kind of get your view on it because everybody has has seen it from different uh, from different glasses from different lenses how has the, the usafl uh, changed and and what achievement has the league uh, uh achieved uh, that has impressed you the most yeah so you know growth of clubs is uh, first comes to mind, you know, when I started, we had about 35 clubs. We're now at uh, 46 clubs and, and um, I've been contacted by five people just this past summer um, in different cities across the country that are interested in starting clubs. So um, once we're able to return to the field, um, we have more clubs in the wings that are waiting to, to, to start. And, and, and so that's very encouraging. Um, along with that has, you know, come the growth of the women's competition the yeah, majority of our clubs now have women's teams and we've expanded to two women's divisions at, uh, at nationals. So that's been fantastic to see. And, you know, it, it's only going to continue. Um, and then adding regionals to the annual calendar has been a, a great success and, and a lot of fun. Um, a lot of people enjoy nationals and, and then regionals is, you know, another opportunity for, for us all to come together. And so just to, see how we've been able to um, implement and, and grow those events over uh, the last uh, six, seven years has been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, the expanded coverage that we, we've uh, done um, online with the online streaming, including our ESPN broadcast of nationals has been great for the league as well. Um, created more awareness and, and interest uh, through those. And, um, you know, even the Mateship Cup that we've started um, has been a great nod to our uh, servicemen and, and just the, the relationship and, and uh, ties between the, the U.S. and the Australian military, a great way to, to recognize and, and, and appreciate that. 
So um, I know people that participate in that, they look forward to that every year as well. So yeah, um, those are just some of the um, ones that you know, kind of immediately come to mind. And um, you know, our goal is just to always continue to innovate and be looking for, for new opportunities to, to really expand and, and grow the game. Now, you've talked about the past. Let's talk about the future. What's on the horizon for the league going forward? Yeah, so in the uh, short term, I guess the immediate uh, uh, future is um, virtual nationals. Um, Looking really, again, looking forward to that and and, um, the the input and ideas that we have from our our, uh, USAFL community. Um, We've also announced this year to our clubs that we will be launching uh, the USAFL Foundation. And that's something that the league has talked about for a number of years and something that I'm really excited about. I've um, been um, working with Paul O'Keefe on that and um, we're planning to launch that officially here um, in the coming months as well. So there'll be some more info and details about that to come soon. Um, and we're, we're obviously, we're, we're really, you know, preparing and looking towards next year in 2021, you know, um, Along with nationals, the international cup was also postponed and canceled this year. So we're continuing to monitor that with the AFL and and um, look towards how we can really support the revolution, the freedom um, next year as part of that, and also how we can really celebrate next year and being back on the field. You know, everybody's you know looking forward to getting back out there. So we're we're looking actively looking at ways to really um, celebrate next year with our, our regionals and, and our nationals and um, some other events. Um, and then we're also looking at, um, you know, find, finding a home for the USAFL. Um, we've begun conversations like that, um, but it is currently on pause just given this current situation. But um, we continue. That's something that I'm continually looking at is really um, finding the right home for us as the league. And um, we hope that we will be able to move forward with the plans that we've you know, begun on that. And we also are continuing to talk to the AFL and clubs about hosting a match here in the USAFL uh, or here in the U.S. Um, so we're really excited about that and looking forward to that opportunity. We think that can be a, a fantastic way to, to um, really grow um, awareness and drive participation for us as a league. So um, those are just some of the kind of um, bigger picture projects that uh, that we are working on. I mean, just listening to that, I'm pretty excited about it. I've got I've got little, little goosebumps just thinking about all, all all the possibilities here, including as you mentioned, uh, with the game that uh, the AFL wants to stage here. Uh, hopefully, that happens relatively soon. I have one last question for you, and, and I always like to end these with, with a fun question. And, and so um, you've done a lot of traveling with the league and, and for the league and for these different events. And you and I have been in pretty much the same cities <laughs> for these things. And my, and my question to you is, of all the places you've gone for footy here in the U.S., uh, which has the best food and why? Ooh, that's <laughs> a tough one. It's, it's between Sarasota and San Diego. Okay. I mean, here in Memphis, I don't get very much uh, fresh seafood. So when I have the opportunity to be on the coast, uh, <laughs> enjoy the opportunity um, to, to have fresh seafood. So um, yeah, it'd have to be uh, those two. And you know, 
it'd be hard to separate them. They're both uh, you know, special in their own ways. I was going to say, you don't cast uh, your wine much into the Mississippi, I imagine. <laughs> not so much. I mean, the catfish is okay, but it's uh, yeah, not my favorite. <laughs> well, Doran, James, listen, thank you so much for all the hard work you do. Uh, I know I speak for uh, just about everybody who's involved with the league as, from the player level all the way on up. Uh, thank you for all the hard work and your dedication and your passion uh, to making the USAFL what it is both on and off the field. Absolutely, Brian. Um, my pleasure. I really enjoy um, and feel blessed that the opportunity I'm given to really represent our community and the league and in this sport. And I just um, yeah, want to wish everyone um, stay safe and, um, you know, we'll get through this and look forward to seeing everybody uh, as soon as we can all get together again. Now, Doran had mentioned a couple of opportunities for the USAFL community to get involved. And uh, for inquiries as to uh, how you can do that, you can email him directly. It's doran.james at usafl.com. That's D as in dog, O-R-E-N as in November, dot J-A-M as in Mary, E-S like Sam, at usafl.com. That'll do it for this week's show. A reminder that if you want to stay on top of everything that's happening in the USAFL, you can do so on our website, usafl.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash usafl, and on Twitter and Instagram at usafl1997. You can also check out old matches and relive the 2017 AFL International Cup at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash 1997. Our thanks to Doran James for joining us this week, and our thanks to you for doing the same and spending the last 45 and a half minutes alongside us. We'll be back shortly. Until then, my name is Brian Barish. Be safe, be healthy, and I'll talk at you next time. <laughs>